0: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 upfront for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: Nami Nui and welcome to our changing world from RNZ National. Next month, it'll be a year since heavy rains and floods wreaked havoc in Dunedin. Flooding is the most frequent and costly natural hazard in New Zealand and it is expected to increase as sea levels rise. Waikato University's Ian White tells Veronica that it's time for urban planners and policy makers to start incorporating the changing risk of flooding and to envisage future cities differently. About two months worth of rain fell in 24 hours last Wednesday flooding hundreds of homes and shops in South Dunedin.
0: Just coming up my driveway, it looks like a moderate-sized river that is going around or even through somebody's house. We've got families who have lost everything. We've got families who have had to leave their homes. We do have other families who are still living in flooded houses, so they're living in wet, damp conditions.
1: Um, We've been told we need to move out today. It's pretty upsetting, like we've lost quite a bit of stuff. I'm going to cry now.
0: The whole cliff above us has come down and buried, uh, had buried two cars. We've got one out so far, but one's still buried. You've got flooded houses with carpets that are still wet, so maybe the floodwaters are receded, but the carpets were still damp. You had sofas and, in some cases, beds that were, were still damp and there was damp blankets, and obviously that's a significant health risk. Flooding is the most frequent natural disaster in New Zealand, and it, it seems to be becoming worse so our extremes are becoming a little bit more normal and that's completely in time with what scientists predict the future will hold there's a lot more energy in the climate it seems to be holding more precipitation and it's distributing that in, in much more intense rainfall events and so we see in the climate is loading the dice in the, in the way that the water when it interacts with the catchment. There's a lot more of it to deal with. And that brings us to the second point, which is quite surprising for New Zealand. But the the densification agenda, which is going on around the country, is actually a very good thing. You're looking at transport in Auckland, for example, or Wellington. We've traditionally had quite a sprawled development pattern. And now we're trying to densify to get more homes for people and deal with some of the population increases. And that means that the catchment changes. And so when the rainfall falls on the catchment, we can expect more of it to go into the drains and the rivers than it did before. And so as a, a part of the same discussion, you need to invest more heavily in how we deal with water because we're expecting the system to be able to deal with more rainfall events than it did in the past. And this is about joined up thinking. If you're looking around the world, we can expect to experience a little bit more um, interurban flooding events. We're starting to see them around Wellington quite a bit already, and then parts of Auckland where you're you're getting drainage infrastructure, which is quite historic and might only be designed to deal with a, a one in two year event, or maybe a one in five year event. Whereas in England um, and, and parts of Europe, they're now talking about one in thirty being too low because of the amount of rainfall that's going into the system and the amount of runoff. So this is about thinking about the natural hydrological cycle and the fact that it doesn't exist. The, the, when we think about our school days and we we picture the hydrological cycle, it's actually very artificial. The rain falls on ground, which is heavily urbanised and it goes into pipes, which we pick the size of and those sizes uh, might be designed by budgets. So we need to maybe reinvest a little bit more in parts of our drainage infrastructure and Maybe redesign places differently to be able to absorb more water and to reduce the demands on it. It's not just a case of say bigger pipes. We can think about the nature of places, how we design them, so we can delay investment decisions for say ten years or so by slowing the amount of rainfall that it's it's predicted to. to Expats, but that's that's just one source of flooding. So that's yeah. I was just going to say because not every yeah.
1: flood is the same. And just thinking of the most recent flooding event on the west coast of the South Island, where the river changed its course because the glaciers yep. above were melting, leaving behind gravel beds or loosening gravel beds. They blocked the river's flow. The river changes its course, floods an area where people live. So we are looking at different types of floods already.
0: Yeah, D- different types of floods in different areas. And then the interesting thing is they demand almost entirely different solutions. So if you're thinking about sea level rise, for example, then that, that's actually quite easy scientifically compared to some of the other areas to predict. Because we imagine it's like a, a bathtub slowly filling up with water. The difficulty is, is that how will this interact with, say, king tides? How will this cause excessive coastal erosion what might the extremes look like in future you know, as an easy way to understand it maybe an, ev- an event that might only happen one in a hundred years today or we might have like a one percent chance per annum of incurring might occur every single year in 50 years time that's the, the kind of messages that they're saying about the nature of increase in events so that's sea level rise and and that's one of the it's easy to predict in a way but we don't know how shocks in the system might really drive it so if we have a huge uh, glacier carving event in the arctic we might be looking at meters this century rather than centimeters if things go in the worst possible scenario so this is about scenarios of the future where we don't necessarily know what the future will look like because it depends entirely on how we React in between. The only thing is on policy to try and listen to the early warning signs from science and, and for politicians to do that, and to try and respond.
1: I guess sea level rise is only one part of the picture, though, because you're also dealing with a warmer atmosphere which holds more water. So every downpour, every storm has at least the potential to be more intense and dump more water more in a shorter time. Yeah. And that on top of a higher sea level. How can planning adapt, with the help of science, to deal with a situation where you're looking at a changing risk?
0: Well, this is a a fascinating aim because it shows the meeting of two ideologies, if you like, about how science is actually based on uncertainty. We don't necessarily find more knowledge and it rises in this incremental way where we gradually know more and more about something until we know everything. New knowledge also creates new uncertainties and new things that we didn't think about. And, and so we have a situation where our climate models show the same uncertainty pretty much that they did 30 years ago, which when you step back and think about it, just shows that we might never get more certain because the more we find out, the more we don't know. The more we, areas we realize that are much more complicated than we thought. So science is never going to provide certainty. And if you, you think about what decision makers demand and the way that we use land and how it's based, when essentially decision makers demand certainty. Decisions should be based on evidence and they should be defendable on appeal. And And we also have the the role of the law. And the law is based on past precedent, the way that we've always done things in the past. And this is... Fine for this kind of area and this situation, but the the future might not look very similar to the past. We're looking at this intersection between a demand for certainty, a demand for demandable decisions, and the fact that our policy and our science doesn't necessarily give us the tools to do that. Is there a way so, of having
1: a dynamic system that underlies planning? Some yeah, way I of think. saying, well, you know, for now we do this, but should A or B change, then we need to take this path.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's a really good point, because the way that we think about policy is, is that we, we do the policy, and the policy presides certainty to the investment sector. And so they know how they can you know, use their capital and so on. But we know that it's a dynamic system, and we know that part of the embedded risk we have now is exactly because of these decisions in the past. We know, I mean, the example of red zone in Christchurch is perfect. Some of those areas were overruled on appeal by the courts on the basis that they they said development should proceed against planners' wishes. So you've got the need to be able to provide evidence which is strong enough that can deal with the appeal system. And we also need to design policies which are able to be flexible to respond to circumstances. One of the things we think about when we think about the ability of politicians to respond is about their political agendas and how things rise or fall. And some problems get addressed and some don't. And our policies tend to be either like a a 10-year plan or a 25-year mortgage or a five-year investment cycle or even an annual investment cycle. And this is difficult because we almost need to take the politics out of policies. When certain events come along of a certain scale, it should be that's the trigger point at which point we readdress them and see whether they're still appropriate going forward. Whereas we don't necessarily have that at the moment. It's just on the, the whims of politicians or how good is this event at actually getting into the policy attention cycle where things get done. And
1: which kind of brings me back to what we talked about yeah. first and the role of the state here. Is this an argument, what you were just talking about, is this an argument to actually have some more community or locally based... Policy development system because if we go back to flooding, flooding is very regional. There are different circumstances um, in every region. It affects people very locally. When I speak to local councils, there's a lot of talk about resilient communities. Well,
0: resilience is is a really fascinating topic to discuss because it it means different things to different people. It also is a concept that's rapidly gaining currency throughout the world. But when you think about what it means, it it means that we can't necessarily predict the future. And so we should be prepared to cope with shocks and changes. It's about the ability to cope or the ability to recover and also about the ability to adapt. So by being more resilient, we should be more proactive and try and transition to a state that's less vulnerable in the first place. But that's the concept. When you actually move towards reality, it demands different policy approaches and to lead to different outcomes. So one of the main reasons or one of the main ways, for example, by which people can become resilient with regard to flooding is to purchase insurance. If a flood occurs and you've got insurance, you've got the ability to recover. You can get back to the state of normality that you were at previously, but not everyone can purchase insurance equally. And some people who have been flooded will have much more costly insurance than others it's not just a matter of discussing resilience. We need to think about the different capacity of people and places to do so. So if we're thinking about areas like Franz Joseph, they could be much more resilient, but that resilience has a price tag attached to it. And and some of the discussion around Franz Joseph is whether it's it's a matter of increasing investment or even moving the entire community a few kilometers upstream to a place which then isn't, Actually, vulnerable to flooding, and that's a transition to a new state element of resilience where it can be a good thing as well. That was
1: Ian White, Professor of Environmental Planning at Waikato University. That's all for now. For more, check us out on the web slash Our changing world. Kaketeano.